0: I appreciate Brother Max's encouragement to praise the Lord and to lose the inhibition about praising Him. But I also appreciate his transparency, and I know that if I'm ever insecure about a message, never to ask him how long that message felt. <laughs> so, find somebody else to ask about it. That message feel long? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Totally kidding, and then I could I couldn't help but I'm just giggling. I check around and see where my people are sitting, and so I see Jody, um, my lovely sister, and my beautiful wife Andrea over there, and they've they've got Wyatt and Gus and Jaron and Jackson. I'm trying to figure out if they're doing penance for some sin in a former life or something like that. Like they just got all them rowdy kids together, so ought to be fun. Praise the Lord. (laughs) No, Jody can be intimidating. No, no. Yeah, Jaden's over here saying amen. No. All right. I figure she's been here long enough. I can start making fun of her a little bit. So uh, if she tells you anything about my life, it's not true. So sure. All right. Luke chapter 2. Um, we're getting into the, the presentation of Jesus at the temple After he was born, and we'll begin reading in verse number 21. We're going to skip over for the next two weeks. We're going to skip over the section um, where the priest and then the woman who had been there for a long time, where those two characters are introduced and and they give testimony about Jesus Christ and and give some measure of prophecy about his life and, and how it will unfold, and we're going to deal with this section from verse 21 through verse 24. Then we're going to skip down to verse number 39. And so for tonight and then the Lord willing next week, we're going to deal with these two thoughts, the, the preparation of Jesus and, or the presentation of Jesus tonight and then the preparation of Jesus next week. And both of these things occurred as children. And then in the coming weeks, we'll go back uh, to the the testimonies of those that were in the, in the temple, Simeon, and then I believe her name was Anna as well, and so we'll look at those those testimonies. Just, just so you know, these have a heavy, heavy parental application, the sermon tonight and then the sermon next Sunday night. I was talking with the Royal Lair's class this morning, so thankful for the privilege to be able to hang out with them. For the coming weeks and and just excited to see how the Lord uses all that. Really appreciate that class, by the way. The royal heirs are a blessing to our church. And I love the fact that we have so much youth here, but we don't need to be exclusively youth. And there's a lot that youth can learn from wisdom. And wisdom comes primarily, not exclusively, but primarily with age. And so I'm thankful for the royal heirs. They are a blessing to our church. And so as, as I was in there with them uh, this morning, I, just, I, w- I was trying to remind them that they just in the fact that they have, a, they have a lot of life past them, when I'm, when I'm preaching, then it, it can feel like, man, it, if there were things in the past that I wish I had done differently, that, that can get to feel sensitive in a sermon sometimes, can't it? Come on, just go ahead and help me on this. It can feel sensitive, can't it? But I'm not, hopefully you're figuring this out about me, I'm not preaching to bring up things from the past. I'm preaching to help people from the present into the future. And so if there are moments when, when I'm dealing with parental things, especially if the bulk of your parenting is already in the past, if, you're, if you may be through this, you feel some questions or you feel some regrets, please understand that is not my intention. And can we just all stop and give God thanks for his grace in our lives? Amen. All right, so, so that's not the point. But we do have a lot of young parents and young families represented here. And so my encouragement with the next two messages specifically is if you are past the bulk of your parenting, then would you take the truth and use it to be an encouragement to those you still have influence with? Take it that way. And then if you are a mom and dad who are, you are actively engaged, whether in the teen years or the child years or the, you're, just, you're just getting started, would you please ask God to help you pay attention? It's not that anything profound is going to be presented. But as parents, because of the grind and the difficulty of it, we need constant reminders to keep us on track. And these, in these next two messages as God will help, certainly not because of me, but as God will help, could be beneficial to us if we if we will allow them to. So Luke chapter 2, verse number 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, verse 21 through 24, they don't blow you away with significance, but they are We'll explain it with the Lord's help in just a few minutes. Drop down, please, to verse number 39. So the testimony of Simeon and the testimony of Anna have been given. Consider what we just read in verse 21 through verse 24. We pick up in verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child... Who is the child? And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So tonight we'll look at the presentation of Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. And God, I the desire is always to, to have truth and to preach in a way that can be applicable. To every believers life and there will be times when a message or messages will be more targeted not because I'm trying to make it that way it just seems like that's what the text lends itself to towards specific a little more narrow or specific audience and it's not that if there is no direct application we can't benefit in our life. And so I pray that everyone would tune in, Lord. Please help us not to check out and whether people are well beyond the bulk of their parenting years, whether people are single with our teens. Lord, I I pray that you would help people to lock in tonight because there is benefit in this truth. Uh, But Lord, I pray that you would help especially our parents that can be a help to other parents or parents that are in the midst, right in the midst of the challenge and the burden and the privilege of raising children, pray that you would help them to be reminded tonight of this vital truth. Now, thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for the example of our Savior and of the woman and the man that you entrusted with his early years. Father, such a, such a heavy, amazing thought that Joseph and Mary were entrusted with the early years of our Savior. And God, we have been entrusted with young lives, and so help us to make the most of the moments that we have with these young lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. You've heard the term child prodigy, and when I think of child prodigies, I typically think of sports, but there are many other prodigies outside of the sporting arena, Uh, Some of the a couple of the more famous one would be Wolfgang Mozart the Austrian born wonder kid First took up the harpist chord when he was just three years old He had composed his first piece Of published music at age five and by his teen years. He had already written several concertos sonatas operas and symphonies Mozart and his sister Maria Anna Herself a musical prodigy, traveled widely through Europe, exhibiting their talents in royal courts and public concerts. From Bavaria to Paris, audiences marveled at the Boy Wonder's ability to improvise and play the piano blindfolded or with one hand crossed over the other. During a 1764 stopover in London, he was even tested and examined by a British lawyer and naturalist named Danis Barrington, who was awestruck. Are you ready for this? By the eight-year-old's ability to sight-read unfamiliar music in a most masterly manner. Mozart would eventually grow into one of Europe's most celebrated and prolific composers. And before his death at age 35, he wrote more than 600 pieces of music. Look, I'm thankful we have some really talented musicians here. But that dude's different. (laughs) Someone maybe a little lesser known to you is a young woman named Sor Juana Ines de la Cruz. She was born in Mexico in 1651. And what's significant about her is that she learned to read as a toddler and quickly blazed through all the books in her grandfather's library. Despite being denied a formal education because of her gender, she began writing religious poetry at age eight, and later taught herself Latin, mastering it in just 20 lessons. By her adolescence, she had also studied Greek logic and learned an Aztec language called what it's called. <laughs> her reputation for genius later won her a place as a lady-in-waiting at the Viceroy's Court in Mexico City where she, when she was 17, she was famously tested by a panel at 17 she was tested by a panel of 40 university professors, all of whom were shocked by her deep knowledge of philosophy, mathematics, and history. She would go on to be one of the 17th century's most popular authors of drama, poetry, and pose. And her image now appears on the 200 peso bill in Mexico. Again, I'm thankful that we have some very intelligent kids in this church that child's different not really anyone else like them a a prodigy is something or someone that comes along not not once in a lifetime but once generationally and we could talk about other child prodigies and look when I when I'm saying that our children as far as I know it's not yet been revealed if we have any prodigies here. And, and understand, when I'm talking about a child being a prodigy, I'm not talking about the value a life has in the work in the kingdom of God. And I'll get with that in a little bit. So if there are any parents here getting upset or offended, please chill out, ask God to help you. I'm not making fun of anybody's kid, amen. Um, so we talk about prodigy. We, we understand that they are unique. But Jesus was different than any child, any prodigy. Jesus was not like any other child. Now, when we think about Jesus Christ, we're typically thinking about him as an adult. We're thinking about him confronting the Pharisees. We're thinking about him... Uh, confronting false doctrine, we're thinking about him healing and making people well We think about him walking on the water, we think about him calming the storm We think about him raising the dead, we think about him doing all these amazing things We think about him dying on the cross for our sins and rising again and giving salvation Being seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us I Man, we think about some really amazing things But there was a period in his existence on this earth when he was but a newborn and after that, he followed the natural steps of progression that an individual goes through from being a newborn to being an adolescent to being a teenager and then eventually to being an adult. Now, please, please get it. I know you're aware, he was always God and man. He was always God and man. At no point during his existence in the womb of Mary and during those formative years when he was but a babe or a toddler being held by his mother or cradled by his father, at no point did he cease to be God. But he still had to go through the processes of development that all children have to go through. Now look, he never ceased to be God, but he still had to learn how to walk. He never ceased to be God, but he still, there was a moment when he said his first word. And, and I don't be to be weird in any of this, but all of the processes that your children go through when it just comes to the, the physical development of uh, learning how to go potty or learning how to say certain words or learning different interactions, Jesus went through those processes, and yet in all of that, he never ceased to be God. Now, here's a question. I'll deal with this more next week. But the question is, well, when did he become aware that he was God? I'm not even going to begin to answer that. I'll just make this statement. It started pretty early because we'll deal with this next week. He was 12 telling Joseph and Mary, was she not, that I must be about my father's business? <laughs> okay. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to portray this image as though Jesus didn't know or even trying to delve into all of that because, honestly, it's irrelevant. We just need to understand two things. First thing, he never ceased to be God. Second thing, he had to go through the natural processes of development that every child has to go through. He was still a child that needed to be raised without sinning, without ever having to be corrected, without ever having to be told no, without ever back-talking or arguing or complaining. But he was still a child and he, he went through those development processes. In verse 40, notice this the first phrase, and the child, what's that word? Grew. What do you mean? He went through the processes of development. He was born, he went through the process of of being developed in the womb of his mother, where his body, his human body was taking shape, without the aid of a physical man, and therefore the absence of a sin nature. And then he went through the birthing process where he was delivered, like billions upon trillions upon billions upon trillions of babies have been born. And then he grew, and he developed. And as the text indicates, he went through those developmental processes. Now where we pick up our reading in verse 21, we're introduced or reminded of some Old Testament processes that God established for his people that both the newborn and the mother were supposed to go through after the birth of a child. In verse 21, in the first part, we read about the circumcision of their child. On the eighth day, every male Jew was to be circumcised. You can go back and you can study this. We'll go through it quickly. There were basically three reasons for God commanding the males to be circumcised and then circumcised Specifically on the eighth day, there were health benefits to it. There was the issue of identification as a descendant of Abraham and therefore God's covenant people. And then there was the example. It was an external example of the fact that of sin and the circumcision of the heart that's necessary to know God. And, and I'm so thankful that, that the, it, the custom of circumcision as it relates to our right standing with God and, and that, that identification is removed. And and that the circumcision that God is concerned with is the circumcision of the heart. And that doesn't happen by us doing something. It happens by Jesus Christ cutting away the old man and giving us a new nature in him. And that's what physical circumcision was a picture of. Jesus, get it, stay with me. Jesus was not a sinner, but Jesus did come to fulfill the law. when When he commanded John, to baptize him. John said, I I have need to be baptized of thee. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so for I'm we have to fulfill and I'm not quoting this exactly, but to fulfill it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. No critic of Jesus could look at any part of his life from the beginning of it and these initial Uh, Processes of circumcision and presentation all the way through to his uh, validation of the preaching of John No one could look at it and say and find fault with him He was flawless in every single way In 21b we see this the naming of their child At the time of circumcision was when the official name was given The birth certificate moment if you will You know this back in chapter 1, his name had already been revealed to Mary by Gabriel before his conception by the work of the Holy Ghost. And so for Mary and Joseph to name him Jesus, and if you can remember this, if you go back to Zacharias and Elizabeth and the drama surrounding the naming of John, how that Zacharias was mute during the entire time that John was in the womb and when he was born they asked what will his name be and they said well his name is going to be Zacharias and Zacharias is gesturing no and uh, Elizabeth said it's John and they said there's no one in your family with that name and so Zacharias asked for a writing tablet, writes down the name John and immediately his tongue is loose and that demonstrated their faith in God's purpose for their child And the same principle is on display here, that by naming him Jesus, they are recognizing, though they may not understand everything he's going to do and everything about him, they don't have to understand everything in order to be submitted to what they know God wants for their child. This is a really important point. It wasn't necessary for them to understand every single purpose that Jesus had, in order for them to be submitted to what they knew in that moment what did they know among other things his name shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins no we don't know exactly what that looks like and then a little more is about to be revealed uh, by, by the prophecies of Simeon and of Anna, and a, a little more affirmed. And so they understand the coming Messiah. They're being told by the angel that Jesus is the Redeemer, and you're going to name him such as such. And so when they declare that name, it is a statement of their faith that God has a specific purpose for this child. Now, Now, look, this would be This would be anything that anyone has to wrestle with. When you have a child, whether it's for the first time or the eighth time, anything in between or beyond that, whether it's only one or it's a dozen, whatever it is, if you're thinking right, you can't help but dream for that child. It's No, come on, get with me, moms and dads. And when you hold that baby, and I imagine it only increases when you're a grandparent. Man, this is weird for me. I'm not, but a couple of decades away from this. (laughs) No, look, I got married a few days after I turned 20. Alexandra was born just a couple of months after I turned 21. Alexandra ain't that far away from those days. Papa Pastor right here. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I love holding your babies, and then I love sending your babies home with you. I, I didn't realize I would reach that point, but I have. Like, I'm, I mean, if the Lord somehow miraculously gave us more children, praise the Lord. You can laugh at us, whatever. Stop it, brother Z. But, <laughs> but I'm. I just start imagining. I wonder what it's going to be like to hold my grandbaby for the first time. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Bev. I wonder what that's like. And I can imagine that, that it's only like when I held my daughter for the first time or my sons for the first time. I begin to dream for them. You understand that, that that's not something that's confined to America. That's, that's a part of what God put in us as, as dads and moms to see this life and then to begin to have dreams for what that life can become. But here's what Mary and Joseph, by naming this child Jesus, are doing. They are saying, God, we are submitting our dreams to your purpose for this child. It's a big statement. Let's just be honest. Sometimes what we dream for our children may not necessarily be what God wants for our children. Verse number 22, we see the purification process. After delivering a child, a woman was ceremonially unclean. When she gave birth to a male child, she could not enter the temple for 40 days. For a female child, she could not enter for 60 days. So after Jesus' circumcision, Mary and Joseph waited where they were for another 33 days. This would have taken more time. It would have involved more cost. They're already not wealthy. They're already on the poor end of the spectrum, and this would have been an increased burden on People who were already poor and yet they were patient and diligent in doing things ex- exactly as they were laid out for them in scripture So we go through this process of circumcision and then we're going to take him for the presentation and so in verse 23, they also they bring Jesus to present him to the Lord and and God established that every firstborn we read this in in verse number 23 as it is written in the law of the Lord every male or excuse me every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. God established that every male belonged to the Lord, but in place of them being offered to the Lord in service, he called the tribe, he called the Levites to full-time service. And so those who gave birth to their sons, they, they would pay an offering of something around five shekels. And while that's not stated, it's safe to assume in verse number 39, they, it, they did everything that the law required, but then the law also required that they offer a sacrifice. The law required a lamb, but if the parents didn't have the financial resources for a lamb, they could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons, and so they were poor, but even though they didn't have a lamb, they were diligent to do exactly what they could and so you have you have these processes that are detailed that can that can to us can seem kind of tedious and insignificant okay look we love the nativity scene and yes we're excited about the cross and thankful or we're thankful for the cross and we're excited about the empty tomb but, but then here you have these seemingly tedious processes where he's circumcised on the eighth day, and then there's this presentation of he and Mary on the 40th day, and then they go through these sacrifices. And you say, what, why is this significant, especially to us? Well, first of all, again, it established that Jesus Christ was right in every way from beginning to end. You know, when a candidate is nominated by a president to fill some cabinet, they go through a, an inquiry process where the Congress can look into all of their history and find holes to poke and say, hey, you're not qualified or you are qualified. You can't look at any part of Jesus' life and say he's unqualified. From beginning to end, he's qualified. He's flawless. He's not just sinless, but he, every part of his, in every part of his life, the, the law was fulfilled With great diligence, both by him and by those God entrusted with those early years. Which brings us to the second point. Here's this, and this is the main point for our purposes tonight. This is what's obvious. Mary and Joseph were devoted to God. And that devotion was on display In the way they raised their children. I think there's an amazing connection. Between verse number 39. And verse number 40. Now I don't want you to run ahead with this too fast. But I want you to see this. In verse 39 this is what the text said of them. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord. They returned, but drop down to verse 40. And the child grew. Please get this statement. Get this thought. Stay balanced. Jesus was not who he was because of Joseph and Mary. <laughs> Jesus was not who he was, is not who he is, because of Joseph and Mary. But this is true. God did use Joseph and Mary. They used Joseph, God used Mary to bring him into the world. God used specifically Joseph to protect him from the craziness of Herod, which we'll deal with. God used. Joseph and Mary to prepare him in the early years of his adolescence. Again, they did not cause Jesus to be who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But if you'll remember this, because he had to go through the developmental processes that every infant, every toddler, every child, every teenager has to go through, God used Joseph and Mary to prepare him and to at least provide a setting. Out of which he could develop and function and do all of the things that God wanted him to do in those early years. So here's the statement about them. Their devotion to raising him right set the stage for him to fulfill the father's purpose for his life. Look, I'm not saying that they get to claim credit for who he was. But they did the things that were necessary for him to fulfill the law, and they raised him in such a way where there was obvious devotion to God. And even, even, in, chapter, even in, in later on in chapter 2, verse 41, when his parents, look at this verse, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. They were devoted to the things of God. And that devotion was used to set the stage on which he could develop and he could be useful or do all the things that the father intended him to do. Now let me give you one more warning and then I'll get to the application. There are no other children like Jesus. <laughs> okay, I love my babies. I love our babies. I, I, I love standing in the back singing and looking at all the different little heads. I love it. I love watching the offering. And man, kids like in a race up here, and they're just beaming when they come back from the offering. Oh, dude, I love it. I love watching them sing. I love watching this group. I love watching them when they kind of got scowls on their faces. I love watching it when they're engaged and really locked in. I love. Wa- I just. I love the children God has given to us. Just make sure you understand and you temper your excitement about your child. There's no other child like Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Your child's a sinner. Your child needs Jesus. Your child needs a Savior. You can, and, and here's the point, point. And, and if I can just deal for a moment with past issues, you can do everything right, and they still decide to do wrong as an adult. You can do everything wrong, and they decide to turn to God in their life. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. And we cannot be careless to disconnect the way that our children are raised and the way that they live their lives as adults. No, there are exceptions. I I need to hit this again to make sure we're on the same page. There are exceptions. Parents can do everything right. For example, Cain and Abel were raised in the same house. For example, the prodigal had two sons in the house. No, parents can do everything right. Okay, one more example. God. Adam. Eve. No, he raised them with maturity. He raised them enjoying the benefit of a perfect relationship with him. And then they decided, no, we want something different. So you can raise your children right and they decide that I'm gonna live my life differently, I'm gonna go away from God. You can raise your children wrong and by the intervention and work of God's grace in their life, then they can respond in humility and they can turn to God. But we, can't, we must avoid this attitude that says, well, you know, it's not really a big deal what I do with my kids because they're just gonna do what they're gonna do and I can't really affect that at all. That is nonsense. You cannot disconnect how you raise your children with how they live their lives as adults. I'm not saying there's an exact correlation every single time. Again, can we all just praise the Lord for grace and mercy in our lives? And again, I make this statement anytime I'm dealing with parenting issues. There are no perfect parents, and children don't turn out right because parents are perfect. But there is a, cor- there is a correlation. There is a connection. So here's the statement. Your devotion to spiritual discipline will aid in the development of your child's heart for God. Your devotion to spiritual discipline will aid. I didn't didn't say it's a substitute for their own desire to walk with God. And it's certainly not a substitute, well, we'll get to that in a moment. It doesn't replace their need to choose to follow Christ for themselves, but your devotion to spiritual discipline will aid in the development of your child's heart for God. Moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, any adult that has any any influence over any child, please look at me and get this point. I do not care what their occupation is, so long as it is one by which God can be honored. Okay, there are a few occupations out there that are just pointless and dumb, but for the most part, God is honored by labor and work, and he gives different people abilities in different areas, and they need to be used for his glory. And it doesn't matter where that is, it can be used in livestock, it can be used in the construction industry, it can be used in the medical field, it can be used in the educational field, it can be used in development, it can be used in science, it can be used in ministry, it can be used in music, it can be used all over the place. My concern is not the profession of your children, and yours shouldn't be either primarily. My concern is that they have a heart for God that affects the profession they go into and that affects the way they live out their faith in that profession because we know this can happen where the profession begins to take priority over a person's faith. And our lives are never supposed to be directed by our profession. They are supposed to be directed by our faith. And my desire as a dad and, and mom first, and my desire as a pastor of children about whom I care very deeply and their families, my desire is not what profession your children are going into, but it's that whatever profession they go into, that their hearts be affected so that they love God. And whatever they're doing, they're doing because they believe in some way God's leading them into that, And then they live out their faith In that profession To honor and please and love And build the kingdom of God That's what I care about Well how can that be affected By your devotion to Spiritual discipline Your devotion to Spiritual discipline will aid In the development of your Child's heart for God Let me give you two things Very simple Number one your own walk with God outside of this building and these assemblies. I won't won't spend a lot of time on this point, but I wanna make sure we don't fall prey to this. It is not enough to bring your children to church, even consistently. Now, we'll get to that in a moment Your children need to be here consistently. Oh, your children need to be here consistently. But there is no substitute for a mom and dad living out faith. Monday and Tuesday and most of Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And what goes on in this church is not meant to be the primary source of spiritual development in the life of your children. I'll say it again, what goes on in this church is not meant to be the primary source of spiritual development in the lives of your children. It is meant to supplement what is being developed outside of these walls. You know who pastors, mom, you know who pastors the heart of your children long before they ever recognize that they have a pastor? It's a mom and a dad who pastor their heart mom and dad who spiritually watch over them I get such a kick out of this Clara Murphy I hope I'm allowed to talk about this if not please forgive me Clara hasn't yet figured out that I actually have a name so she gave me her own name and I love it when they first started attending I think it was just like one or two services and then we had to we do in the live stream thing and she identified me with church and so my name is church now Church is here, people. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I'd show up on the screen, it's church. And when she talks to me, church, there's church. Hey, church. And just talks to me like that, and I love it. But please, please get this. If I'm the only church in her life, her spiritual development is anemic. No no that wasn't a criticism at them they know that you should understand that the point that that's not the point the point is this that so many times as parents we we look at church as like the all in one spiritual vitamin where i'm going to bring my kids here and then i'm just they're going to get these great vitamins that are just going to serve them the entire week your kids need more than that this this is not meant to be the primary source of their spiritual nutrition it is meant to be a supplement that cooperates with the spiritual investment that is taking place in their homes and in their lives and you are the source of that so here's here's how i want to communicate this They need to see every day that God matters to you and that God is affecting the way you live your life. Here's what I'm talking about. They need to see every day that God matters to you and that God is affecting the way you live your life. Okay, so what do you mean? I mean, number one, you and your wife ought to be talking about God. You got to be talking about Jesus. Uh, Brother Mike Timmerman said this about Jack Cook, one of my favorite testimonies that was given about Brother Jack. He talked about Jesus like he was his next door neighbor. You You know what that means? That means Jesus was real, is real to Jack Cook. That's what that means. It wasn't, it, Jesus wasn't just this idea that he got excited about on Sunday. Jesus was the person, the God, who had changed his life and who had saved him and given him hope and given him purpose, and he wanted everybody to know about that. Your kids ought to know you like Jesus. No, and I'm not, no, be careful about this. I'm not talking about in some kind of irreverent way where they learn the vernacular without respecting the name that they're using. That's not what I'm talking about. But they ought to know, Jesus is a regular subject in our home. And man, when we're, when we're talking about God, we're excited about him. And we're excited about his goodness. And we're excited about his blessings. And we're excited that we get to be a family because God allowed us to be married. And God allowed you to be born to us. And God provided us this house. And God provided daddy and mama these jobs and God has given us this home and God has done all these different things Jesus ought to be somebody that you talk about and are excited about on a regular basis oh but children can see through lip service if it doesn't affect lifestyle you can talk about Jesus all you want, wear whatever shirt you want belt buckles, whatever you want to do but if Jesus isn't affecting your attitude and the way you live your life your kids are going to pick up on that. Oh, So they, it needs to affect how we respond to each other, how we respond to them, how we respond when we fail, how we respond when we're going through trials and difficulties. Man, I, man, I love it. One of the times when you can bring attention to Jesus is just by learning to consistently pray at your meals. It's amazing. Like, doesn't everybody do that? I don't know. I just know that it's not, you say, well, what's the big deal about this? Because your children are learning that this, this man and woman have a heart for God and have gratitude towards him. Man, praying with them on a consistent basis, making sure that they're having time in the word. Your own walk with God. Your children need to know that God matters in your life and the way and affects the way you live your life. Number two, your participation in the process as God has established in his church. Joseph and Mary submitted to processes that were established long before they came along, and they made sure that Jesus was involved in them. So, your participation in the processes God has established in his church. Okay, you're obviously accomplishing this. Step number one, you got to be involved yourself. Step number two, you got to make sure you're keeping your children involved in these processes. Okay. Let me try. I want to. I don't want to rush through this. Do, do you ever feel the struggle, of the or the struggle to be balanced in maintaining life outside of church and keeping your kids involved in church and all of the demands that come with that? You ever feel that struggle? Yeah, sure. Come on, it's not. I'm not. I'm not about to knock you out of the park here with that statement. I'm not setting anybody up. It. It is a struggle. That's why it's important that you establish priorities early on about what and will not be sacrificed and violated. These things won't be violated under any circumstances. This won't be deviated from under any circumstances. Number two, the level to which your children are involved should not be left up to them. (laughs) Okay. Look, I'm going to... I just I, I want to be real careful about this, but I want you to get this. If you're a part of this church, your kids need to be at the services here, not somewhere else. Well, it's okay if my children decide they want to go to another church. You show me in the Bible where it's okay that moms and dads are getting their spiritual food from one place, but then children get to decide where they're going to get their spiritual food. You show me that precedent in the Word of God. No, here's the point. You can't. And if this church isn't good enough for your children, I don't mean this arrogantly, but I believe what I'm about to say. If the food here isn't good enough for my children, then why am I sitting here? No, don't get quiet on me. If this, isn't, if this food isn't good enough for my children, then why am I, why am I still here? Are you trying to run people? I'm not at all. I'm just, I just want us to be on the same page here. Your children need to be eating at the same place that you're eating from. Because God is trying to work, not just in individuals, he's trying to work in families. And are you saying that God can't work through other churches? Absolutely not. You know me better than that. But God didn't design for a husband to go to one place and a wife to go to another place and children to go to some other place. God intends for families to be together. And you need to figure out where you can be together at and be together there. You say, well, they don't like this place and things about this place as much as they like other places. I forgot that the way that we raise children is based on what they like. No, 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 no. You think I'm just up here trying to, he's throwing shade. I'm not throwing shade. I'm trying to deal with real issues that parents have to confront. And this is only increasing in frequency where we feel like we got to make our kids go to school and we got to make our kids eat certain things, but then we'll just let them decide whatever they want to about where they go to church. No. They need to be here. They, they, they need to see dad here, and they need to see mom here. Listen, feel free, anytime you want to ask my kids if they're always excited about being at church here. Feel free. They will blow you away with how spiritual they are. <laughs> Every day they wake up singing, I love the old Bible, the precious. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We're going to church today. I'm really excited on my way. Daddy, take me some more. I just love singing about the Lord. I actually did just make that up. Yeah. No, look, look, sorry, sorry. Ask them. They're normal kids. They don't always like coming to church. And I never tell them to get ready for church based on, hey, do you feel like getting ready for church today? Make your kids be involved in this place. And if you're like, well, I think my kids need something different, then respectfully, you need to consider whether or not your entire family needs something different. Because it's not the will of God for moms and dads to be in one place and kids to be in another place. That only creates confusion. Children need to be with their mom and dad. What if they decide to go somewhere else when they're legally adults? That's between them and the Lord. And guess what? I'm not going to love the children of this church any less if they decide that they need to land somewhere else as adults. That is between them and God. Just like it's between you and God when they're adolescents. But there needs to be this understanding. We worship God as a family. Your involvement. And making sure your children are in these processes. Number two, make sure they're involved with a good attitude. It's possible to not like something but still have a good attitude. No, seriously, ask, again, ask my, I, my kids. I don't know everything that they'll say. But you ask them, have you enjoyed being a part of everything your parents have made you be a part of? And they'll say no. But that doesn't mean we tolerate a bad attitude where they're talking back and they're complaining and they're griping. It's, look, honestly, and you have to learn how to have these conversations with your kids. I understand you would prefer to do something else right now, and that's okay. I'm not upset with you that you would prefer to do something else. But this is right, and this is what your dad and mom believe is best. And so you are going to this activity, and you are going to this class, and we are going to do these things together. And you need to ask God to help you have a good attitude even though you would rather be doing these other things. And I'm not asking you to like it, but I am, I am telling you that I expect you to have a right attitude. you got to learn how to have those conversations with your children. You know what it's hard to do? To teach your children to have a right attitude about things they don't want to do when you have a bad attitude about things you don't want to do. They see your attitude with your spouse They see your attitude when you're at church. They see your attitude on the way home from church. They see your attitude about work. They see your attitude about things you don't enjoy. Number three, your involvement when it requires sacrifice. Mary and Joseph were not just not rich. Mary and Joseph were legitimately poor. The sacrifice of involvement isn't always easy or convenient or fun. but it does make a statement to your children about your level of devotion and your belief in God's purpose for their life. Look, I get it Sunday night. I get it. No, I really get it. Brother Max knows I was messing around. Two and a half hours on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Sunday night. That is not easy, and praise God it's not the norm. But Yeah, go ahead. Somebody needs to say amen. Praise the Lord, that's not the norm. But here's what is the norm. Thank you, Brother Brian. Here's what is the norm. You ready? That being involved to the degree that I need to be here is never going to be convenient. Because you know what just about every one of you are right now? You are tired. You know what else is going on in your brains? There are other things that you could be doing that have legitimacy in your life. But you have chosen to prioritize this time over those other things. And that will be an ongoing struggle. And your children need to see that you are willing to sacrifice and endure convenience, inconvenience, for the sake of being involved in the purpose and the work of God. Because one day they're going to have to make that decision for themselves. And they will be greatly affected by the way you lived that out in front of them. Look, by the way, I'm almost done. It is okay to tell your children this isn't always easy. Man, pastor just wants us to sing the praises of church and how everything's perfect all the time. Uh, No. No, tell them. You know what, sometimes it's hard to go to church. Sometimes I'm really tired. Sometimes I struggle to even want to go. But I do it because I know it's right. And I do it because I know that God will use those services to work in our lives. And I know that this church is the vehicle God will use to help us be a part of building his kingdom. And I don't just want to live for this world, son. I don't just want to live for this world, daughter. I want us to be living for his kingdom and his purpose. And one day when they're 25 and trying to balance their own life, that is going to resonate in their hearts. Your devotion to spiritual disciplines will aid in the development of your child's heart for God. And when they had performed all, the child grew. Hmm. I'm thankful that my child's spiritual development is not dependent on my perfection. Jaden, can you do me a favor, bud? Can you just stand up real quick? I want you to answer one question real loud, okay? And it's a yes or no question. I just need you to be loud. Am I a perfect dad? No. No, no you can laugh at that. I'm, I, don't, I don't mind, but I don't mean it to be funny. Because I have times in tears where I'm begging God to work in my children's hearts in spite of me. There are times I'm holding my son, saying, Jaden, I know I didn't do all of this right. But it doesn't change who God is. I need you to forgive me, and you need to keep working on your attitude. I don't, I don't mean it to be funny. But I also understand this, that there will be a connection between his heart for God when he's 30 in my spiritual discipline while he's 13, while she's three, while he's five, while they're 10 or whatever else. You can be seated, bud. Your your devotion to spiritual discipline will aid in the development of your children's heart for God. So where is it? Is your devotion to spiritual discipline where it needs to be. Maybe it is, praise the Lord. Then use this as a preventative message and say, God, help me to check up on, like checking the oil, just check the oil tonight. Maybe God's speaking to you and you say, man, there's some things that I really need to tighten up. Let's start working on them. Use the altar. Maybe, maybe there's some things that so you say, man, I wish I had learned this at a different time but I can definitely use this to be a help in the lives of my children or my grandchildren or some friends that I have whatever the case may be use the truth in your life and to those who don't have children especially to teenagers or to single adults please get this even if you don't have children of your own and maybe never have children of your own God can use your spiritual discipline to be a positive influence in the life of someone else if you'll allow it to be let's all bow our heads and close our eyes here's this statement one more time your devotion to spiritual discipline will aid in the development of your child's heart for God fulfilled all the child grew with every head bowed and every eye closed nobody looking around I wonder if there would be anyone who would say pastor I I know before God there are just some things in my life that I need to tighten up a little bit There's some things that I needed some encouragement in. Whether you have children or not, there's some things that in my devotion to certain spiritual discipline, my excitement about who Jesus is, the way I let him affect my life, there's some things that need to be improved. And I know that. Before God, I know that. And I'm asking him to help me and to help my family, to help my children. I want to acknowledge that before him. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. And I want God. Yeah, I see it all over. God bless you for being honest. Let me, let me do this. Nobody looking around. I'm going to ask this. I wonder, just before the Lord, this is just a prayer request tonight. This is not an admission in any way that something wasn't right because you can do things right and things not turn out the way they should. I'm just wondering if there would be some moms and dads who say, I have some older children or I have some grandchildren who were raised differently but they are not following God, and I have prayed for them, and I continue to pray for them. And right now, I'm just raising my hand as a testimony. I am desiring God's work in their life, and I continue to seek his help in their life. So would you, Pastor, would you just remember that when you pray? Would you raise your hand? Hold them up before the Lord. Yep, yep, I see it. God bless you for your honesty. And can you please? My brothers and sisters whose hearts hurt with that statement, would you please remember the story of the prodigal? And even when they are far from what you can see, God is still working. Sometimes, sometimes through great difficulty, sometimes. There are many challenges and there are no there are certainly no guarantees, but God is not idle. So you continue to pray for your children. Father, I don't pretend to know the hearts of your people and, and even tonight Lord I, there were certain points where I spent a lot of time on that I had no intention of spending that much time and just Lord I believe that you in certain areas you brought certain things to my attention even while I was preaching and Lord that as always it's it's directed to help your people the intent is to help your people and I understand that in some cases there's Gray areas where we we land a little differently on certain things, but Father, there are principles and there are truths that ought to guide the way we live our lives, and parenting is no different. And so, Father, help help each dad and mom to understand that our devotion to spiritual discipline will greatly aid or detract from. It will aid if it's where it should be. It will detract from if we just neglect it. The, the development of our children's heart for God. And then for my brothers and sisters who grieve over children that are wayward, Father, I pray, God, I ask you, you saw the number of hands that went up. Father, you see the hearts that are heavy right now. And I pray, oh God, that you would continue to work behind the scenes and in the lives of each one of those men and women, wherever they're at and whatever is going on God that you would work in them to bring them back to a place of faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Brother Nate, you please begin to sing and if God has spoken to your heart, you respond to him.